Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. It's that time of the year again. Pumpkin spice, everything is all over the place. And you guessed it, it's Halloween season. And this is our first of our Halloween episodes, Deadly Diseases. Did you know that there are amoebas that can go up your nose and start eating your brain? They're also called zombie amoebas, which can be blamed on global warming for their popularity lately. But I guess you can blame global warming on everything. Getting a divorce? Global warming. Stubbed your toe? Blame it on global warming. Failed the test? Global warming. Jason Tetro is back as our guest. He's a germ guy. He's also the host of the Super Awesome Science Podcast show. And yep, he's gonna be telling us about all these deadly diseases. Should be a fun episode, or at least very creepy, and it won't make you ever want to swim in a swamp, a lake, or even a green pool ever again. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Jason Tetro, the germ guy and host of the super awesome science show podcast. So this is our Halloween episode. I love, love, love Halloween. What is your greatest or most scariest Halloween memory, Jason? You want to talk about that? Let's start the show with that. Well, you see, back when I was a bit younger and I was you know, hardcore into microbiology, one of the things that we'd like to do to just, you know, let off some steam would be to uh, dress up for Halloween. And there were a number of years where I was just totally, totally into it. Uh, some people used to call me sort of the younger, fatter Johnny Depp. So I did a Jack Sparrow. Uh, that was frightening for other people, maybe not for myself. Uh one time I did the Blue Man group. And Ooh, then there was this one, one time where I decided that I was going to be the Grinch. Now, not the Grinch from the cartoon, but the Jim Carrey Grinch. And everything was kind of going well. I, I had the outfit. I had the green face. It was fantastic. I was doing great. And then the next morning, what I realized is the green makeup stains your face. So for the next week, I looked like I was jaundiced. Oh, my God. And so I had yellow face, yellow hands, anything that you could see was yellow. And so I had people constantly coming up to me going, uh, yo, dude, you really need to see a doctor. You, you got problems. And you got to check your LFTs. Oh, my Lord. I could not believe it. <laughs> And I'm just trying to say to them, you know, guys, it, it, it's okay. It's just makeup. And, and they would not believe me. And, you know, it, it, it was an interesting, albeit, like I said, pretty scary week. Because amazingly, people really think that you want to hear what they have to say about your health, regardless of what your expertise happens to be. I've learned that. I try to bite my tongue 
a lot of times mm-hmm. as a nurse, you know, uh, especially when people complain all the time. I, I was dating someone recently and he kept complaining his hip hurt like every five minutes. And finally I was like, just go see a doctor. You know, it was just, it just <laughs> I just blew out your eardrums. All right. But yeah, it was just annoying. I was like, I'm sorry. And so then I became an ag and then I apologized. I go, I will no longer talk about your hip. I'm done. And he said, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. you could have already, you could have told him that he had a mastigote in his hip and that it was eventually going to end up in the CNS and could potentially face. Well, I told him he could have a hip replacement. He freaked out and he's 43. Well, he was, I, he totally freaked out. And I was just like, well, just, you know, and then, and then finally he's like, oh yeah, I feel so good. And I'm like, it's a lie, but whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, hips are one of those things that I think people really are attached to their hips. I think that I would hope so. Yeah, I think so. But it, it's one of those few areas of the body where people just do not want to have any kind of problem. You know, nah. if it's your elbow, I wouldn't want to have eh, a hip problem. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I used to do a lot of hip replacements back in the day. Back in the day before I did pediatrics, helped mm-hmm. in a lot of um, hip stuff, knee replacements, don't want to get anything replaced on my body. So the other thing that's where I, I stand. Really- and the other thing that I find really interesting is that people are the same way about their ankles. I don't know what it is, but it's like they'll twist them, they'll hurt them, they'll turn all sorts of crazy colors and everything, but they won't go see a doctor because something's wrong. I mean, until they, they can't walk anymore and then they come see me and I'm just like, seriously, how long has this been going on? Six months, a year? Yeah, I know. <laughs> But I swear, you know, the smallest little back pain and boom, they are in there for whatever type of treatment they can get. It's, it's fascinating how many different areas of the body, how we treat our different areas of the body. You know, it's kind of scary. Just like our topic today. Yeah. Five deadliest diseases. I mean, these uh, are scary. These are crazy. Um, I mean, I had seen this guy post his, his video on YouTube, which I thought was very interesting. I love you as a guest and a returning guest, and I love our <laughs> bioterrorism episode. Uh, he seemed a little dry because I was like, eh, do I call this guy to come on the podcast? He was a little dry. His topics were great, though. But I was like, I'm going to get Jason back. And I'm so glad that you're back on the show again to discuss our five deadliest diseases for Halloween. I mean, they kind of really, really creeped me out because – there's no coming back from these. There's no treatment on them. I mean, in one of them that we'll talk about, a couple of the kids that got this particular amoeba survived, but they're literally brain dead. Yeah. I mean, their brains don't p- function. They're now mentally retarded, have cerebral palsy, and that's it. Yep. That's how it works with some of these diseases. Once you've got it, there's no turning back. Okay, so shall we start with the first one? Which one do you want to start with? I can't say the majority of these names, okay? <laughs> okay. How about this well, Na- Nagulari Fulari? Okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to start off with that lovely amoeba. That's that, the amoeba that I was talking about, yeah. right? So we're going to start with the amoeba. It's called Nagularia fowleri, and it's better known as the brain-eating disease. And there's a reason for that. That's because it eats your brain. 
Now, here's the thing. Normally, you wouldn't necessarily see this in many areas of the world. It has to live in waters where the temperature is above 26 degrees Celsius, which I think is about uh, 78 degrees Fahrenheit. If it's not that high, it doesn't reproduce, it doesn't do a heck of a lot of things. But once you get that warmer temperature in the water, then it's going to be thriving, it's going to be having a great time. And if it happens to go up your nose, you've got a wee bit of a problem. You see, amoebas have this really interesting way of being able to attach to our mucous membranes and that. And I don't know if you've ever seen amoeba under the microscope, but they tend to move. Yeah. And this one tends to move. Kind of like and, the movie from The Blob. Oh, I know. It's, yeah, it, like, it, it's it, the blob. It's literally the blob. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is that it starts to move up your nose and it works its way through your nose into your brain because there's a little hole in your skull between your nose and your brain. It's called the cribriform plate. And it just goes up through there. And once it's in your brain, it's happy. It just starts chewing away and dissolving all your brain power. Now, the problem is, of course, that when your brain starts to dissolve, you're going to have issues. You're not going to see anything before that, though. So unless you are really sort of aware of where you've been, the warm water over 78, over 25 degrees Celsius, the uh, potential for those amoeba to be there, and also... Do you have any kind of sinusitis or is there something going on in your sinuses after you've been in the water for longer than a few days? You're not going to pick it up. And by the time it gets into your brain, while we do have treatments, the likelihood is, is that it's, it's probably going to be over. So, yeah. So one of the treatments that I found, I pulled it up here and I think it's on the CDC website. Yep. Uh, because it was given to a grade school. It's the same treatment that is used in um, cancer and detecting uh, breast cancer, actually. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Are you talking see. about meltefacine? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, because some of the symptoms here are severe frontal headache, which you said, fever, nausea, vomiting. Uh, in stage two, that's stage one. Stage two, it's stiff neck, seizures, altered mental status, hallucinations, coma. So by stage two, I think you're done. Um, and they say, like I said, there's only two or three survivors. Uh, yeah. Have the name. So they consider these survivors a PAM survivor and a um, fourth US PAM survivor when they do. So in the summer of 2016, a 16 year old boy was reported as the fourth US PAM survivor of all time. This patient was diagnosed within hours of presentation to the hospital and was treated with the same protocol used for the 12 year old 2013 survivor. Let me see how they treat her. Yes, yeah, so it's, yeah, you said it, M-I-L-T-E-F-O-S-I-N-E. -E. That's what they treat Meltefacine, yes. Meltefacine. It, yes. It's, it's still an investigational drug, that's what they say. And this is from the CDC website, if anybody would like to go there, because I did get a comment that we didn't have enough research 
on this podcast, but uh, we do go to the sites that do count. So, yes. Excellent. So, when you start thinking about why Nicolaria, now you have to understand something. We used to have Nicolaria cases, it was very, very rare. But the only places that you'd ever find them were the exit waters of nuclear power plants. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I wrote about this way back in the 1990s, I think it was, and that was the only place that you would ever find them. So wow. a few places in, in the UK possibly could have been there, a few places in America, that type of thing. However, something has happened since the 1990s. Don't know if you've noticed this, planet getting a bit warmer. Yeah, global warming. Yeah. Well, everything, all these can be blamed on global warming oh exactly and so as we were seeing a warming in the temperature of the earth we're seeing a warming in the temperature of say oh i don't know the great lakes so all of a sudden you've got cases that are coming up from lake michigan now wow so while this very very deadly pathogen has been incredibly rare we're going to see more and more cases of it yeah i have the cases right here on the cdc it says 145 known cases between 1962 and 2018. Yep. And, and only four see. people have survived. Exactly. And we're going to see more of those cases as we go along, simply because we have the warmer water. I mean, the reason why I stopped doing triathlons in non-ocean water, we, we have several uh, little lakes around here where they have mm. triathlons. I would do sprint triathlons. And um, I love doing the lakes because they're warmer. I was faster. I don't swim as fast in cold water. And my times were so much better. One of the lakes closest to us here is called Hanson Dam. And there was an amoeba warning. Yeah. I immediately, I mean, they said that amoeba, that particular amoeba just caused skin problems. And they didn't say it ate your brain, but I'm sure it probably could. But I was like, oh, <laughs> hell no. I immediately was like, I am no longer swimming in any dams, lakes. I mean, I went for a swim in a waterfall a couple weeks ago in Tacquitz yeah. Canyon in Palm Springs, but that was ice cold water coming from the snow water. So I think I was okay and I didn't submerge my head. So <laughs> I kept everything above shoulder level. But yeah, but super scary. Everybody's going to be a hypochondriac listening to this now. Shall we move on to the next one? Or do you have anything else to add? Well, I... Because you're basically going to turn into a zombie, you know. It's kind of like the amoeba is a zombie, in yep. a way. And, and I think in that... Well, it eats I brains. Mean, back in the day, we used to call it the zombie bug because... Interesting. You know, yeah. And unfortunately, that because we are seeing so many more cases now, we're being a little bit more gentle in our um, microbiological usage of language we'll put it that way yeah you just say it eats brains it's kind of, Pretty much. I, I like the zombie bug though <laughs> goes with the halloween theme i think i'm gonna put well, it on there yeah maybe yeah. uh maybe now that netflix has canceled santa clarita diet where maybe we could have oh they canceled that show oh my I god oh so, uh, I, uh, I watched the first like season i i thought it was very well written um and I didn't go into the next season because I just was, when they found that head, I was just like, I was done. I was yeah, like, I okay, know. I'm just done. You know? So. I know. It's, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, they had a show, it was doing well, then it wasn't doing well, and now it's gone. So. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, happens. Mm-hmm. Pretty Hollywood. Okay. So the next one is the African trip 
man, oh, I can't say these, man panosomiasis, <laughs> and that's known as the sleeping sickness. Yes, African trypanomyosis. African, try that again. Yes, African trypanosomiasis. It's very, very difficult to say, but it's because it's caused by another protozoan. This time it's called trypanosoma brucei, and it is deadly. It is horrible. Now, thankfully, what causes it... The tsetse fly. Yeah, what... <laughs> isn't as difficult to say as the bug itself. And that's essentially the tsetse fly, which is um, causing what we call sleeping sickness. So trypanosomiasis is actually sleeping sickness. And you're probably thinking, okay, well, how is sleeping sickness deadly? The answer is that the reason that you're sleeping is because this little bug, this parasite, is able to go from your skin into your brain again we're going back to the brain and get into the area that modulates what we call the circadian rhythm so your wakefulness and sleep times and dissolves it and basically gets rid of it and when that happens you essentially fall asleep and you don't wake up and it is another one of these very very deadly ones and if you don't treat it it's not going to be good for you crazy i know i so when i was a kid there was this movie i don't know what movie it was but it there was this woman and i don't know if she was in the amazon or somewhere in africa some african for i don't know um and, and so she was on a boat i remember on a boat she's kind of sleeping and so she's bitten by these flies and then <laughs> <laughs> and then you see her later, she's like squeezing her arms and all these like maggots are coming out. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, you never watched that movie? I well, don't know actually, what movie it is. It's I, super old. But when we I, were kids, we'd be like, there's a fly, <laughs> like our maggots coming out of your arms. Like we were always so freaked out about that movie. <laughs> well, I got to tell you something. The bot fly is an interesting insect because it does actually create that larva. Uh, there's a couple of these types of insects, and believe it or not, there's some in South America, in Brazil, where I happen to be, and for a couple of weeks, I was the surrogate for a particular type of uh, larva called larva migrans. Thankfully, we took some anti-parasitics, uh, uh, anti and it went away. So, so it was... It, it it decided to make a home in you. Like what part of your body do you want to talk about? Oh, it was just, it? it was just above my left wrist. Oh my God. Um, so I had just been sitting on one of the beaches in Rio and I guess uh, one of these flies or whatever um, caught me on, on my, uh, on my wrist while I was sitting there because I was in the sand. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the larva started to grow and then what ended up happening was I was trying to treat it with bleach and other things because I thought it might have been, you know, a bacterial infection. And then it just started to move. And as I was watching mm -hmm. it move over the course of a few days, it occurred to me that, well, maybe this might be something a little bit different. But I couldn't squeeze it out, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> so you just treated it with, did you ever excise it or anything like that? No, unfortunately, um, and it, it happened in a couple places, but this was the only place where I was able um, to, uh, to see it grow. Uh, what ended up happening was that most of the time when I was using the bleach on certain other areas, it actually got rid of it. But in this particular case, it was able to dig itself into my skin far enough that I couldn't get it with the bleach. So. 
so crazy. But going back to this cheatsy fly thing that yeah. you, ca- I mean, at least that was tri- that was treatable. So, uh, you know, I, I've heard of different cases where if you get bitten on the head, then that's where it's a problem because uh, it can go into your brain, but then it has to go through your skull. But then you could get a worse infection if it's well, in your head. Because I've heard of those types of flies getting burrowed uh, into the scalp. Yeah. And, and what makes this particular bug so deadly is the that... The fly one. It, it relies on your ability to fight infections to kill you. So here's something that's always interesting. You get like your immune system. So your immune system is low. It has a better mechanism of killing you. Is that correct? No, it's exactly the opposite. What? If you, yes, we've seen this in uh, animal models and other models. The fact is that, you know how when you get a cold, you start to be sniffly, your nose starts running and all of this? Well, this is all called inflammation. And I'm sure many people who are listening have heard of inflammation. Well, there's a particular molecule that's involved in inflammation in the body. It's uh, called interferon gamma. And what we found in research over the number of years that this thing has been around is that the more of this interferon gamma that you make, the more likely it is that this particular bug, that this particular bug, the T. brucei, is going to get into your central nervous system and go up to your brain. If, however, you're able to suppress or prevent that interferon gamma from working, then there's a good likelihood that this particular parasite is not going to get to your brain, and therefore you're not going to have to worry about sleeping sickness. So here's where it gets really crazy. In order for you to be able to fight off this particular parasite, you essentially are going to have to suppress your immune system while you're treating it. And this is something that's being explored right now. That's very interesting. Yep. And so in this particular case, it's not just scary because it has the ability to get into your brain. What's really scary about it is that it uses your own immune system to be able to get into your brain. And that honestly is frightening. It's very scary. But it's mostly found in Africa, in Uganda, the Congo Basin. And I'm looking at the World Health Organization website talking about the tsetse fly because I can't say the real name. Um, So it says, since the number of new human African trypanomus, whatever, cases reported between 2000 and 2010 dropped by 73%. And they're also saying that there were more deaths with the tsetse fly disease, the sleeping sickness, than there were of HIV and AIDS. Yes. So that's pretty wild, pretty scary there. And it happens to be one of what we call those neglected tropical diseases. So unless you happen to be really involved in that world, you're not going to know much about it. And so that's one of the reasons why most people don't even know how to spell uh, or even say uh, trypanosoma. (laughs) Like me. So what you're going to have to realize is in this particular case, because of the limited geography of the tsetse fly and of 
uh, T. brucei, you're not going to see the widespread media panic that we saw with the Nagularia, even though it has taken many more lives. And to be honest with you, it's a heck of a lot more dangerous because you can treat it. It's just that people don't get the treatment. It's, it's very true. So it can be passed mother to child. It can be, it crosses the placenta and it infects the fetus, which is really scary. There's mechanical transmission through blood sucking insects, like we talked about. There's accidental infections, which occurred in laboratories. That's even crazy. Uh, transmission of the parasite through sexual contact has also been documented, which is wild. Uh, the management of the disease, it says screening for infections. Um, this involves using serological testing and diagnosing, establishing whether the parasite is present in bodily fluids, staging. So basically, what is the treatment here? They say the drugs of choice are pentamidine, and that was discovered in the 1940s uh, and used in the first stages of a TB gamma Denise, sleeping sickness, also ceramin, discovered in 1920. So these are all old drugs. Drugs used in the second stage, mel I have never heard of these drugs, M-E-L-A-R-S-O-Prol. Um, and yeah, huh, interesting. Yeah, you could go on the WHO site and find <laughs> out what the treatments are if you need to or if you're going to that place in Africa, but they have eradicated it up to 75%, which is great. So yeah, we're, we're, we're getting, we're slowly making some progress. And thanks to drugs like, you know, malarsoprol and uh, aflornithine and stuff like that, we are showing that we have the ability to not only treat, but potentially we have uh, prophylaxis as well. And that is something that we probably may be looking at. So th the reality is, it is very, very deadly. It is a big big huge problem however there's lots that's being done to be able to to sort yeah, of yeah they're really working the hard on it well the, the reason is is that if you were to look at things back in the 1960s there were almost no infections whatsoever and then it just started to rise and rise and rise and that spiked about uh, 15 20 years ago so they're now looking at ways that they're going to be able to um uh reduce the chances that people become infected. And then as a result of that, hopefully we won't be able to eradicate it, but we may be able to get it to an elimination phase. Awesome. Moving yeah. oh, right along. This well, is my favorite one. What are you going to ask? Before we move for along, I just want to point out one thing to all the listeners out there. You may not know this, but the tsetse fly's biological name is Glossina. And for those of you who may have known me, that was also my drag queen name. Shut up. You were a drag queen? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. We had a drag queen on the show a couple episodes uh, back. You know, back so. in the day when I had that Johnny Depp look, I really looked good in drag. But these days, I mean, I'm just an old guy now. It just Staying away from the green makeup. That makes you look like you have liver failure. Exactly. True. All right. So the next one is one of my favorites, prion disease. Oh, jeez. Prions. Yeah, uh, that, that was huge back in the 1990s. Anyone who might remember the mad cow disease. Yes. Uh, that was really the whole thing. Now, that was a variant of a prion that we normally associate with humans. It's called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, CJD. Um, that was sort of 
brought about and uh, due to something that happened a number of years ago where there was an actual cannibal tribe and what they were doing was they were actually eating the brains of the people who had died. Now, when that happened, some people ended up dying as a result of that. Now, it took many, many years, but for some reason, this seemed to be a, a recurring thing that was happening. So when investigations were done, what they found was that there was this little protein, little protein that somehow was being transmitted into people and it was getting up into the brain, again, the brain, and causing these plaques. Now, the plaques were essentially nucleated pieces of protein that were growing and growing. And of course, the brain, not a heck of a lot of real estate there. So it was just being taken over. There was a total annexation. And that would lead to mental deficits and eventually to uh, death. Because if a certain part of your brain isn't working, you don't breathe. If a certain part of your brain isn't working, your heart doesn't work. And but weren't so, they getting Kiru as well, which is, uh, Kiru is a very rare disease. It's is caused by an infection protein prion found in contaminated human brain tissue, yeah. and which also causes that. That's what you're talking about, right? And so, Kuru, yeah, Kuru is actually the name of the tribe, uh, that that cannibalistic tribe. So they were the Kurus in New and, Guinea. Yeah. yeah, in New Guinea, and they're the ones who essentially brought modern medicine to the idea of what a prion happens to be. So now. Uh, prions are incredibly rare because we do have numerous ways of being what able to- is a prion can you go over that it's yeah, a specific absolutely. protein right so in your brain there are proteins that enable for proper function and in many of your brain cells there is one that spans the the, the cellular membrane of your uh, cells in order for messaging to go from the outside to the inside, okay? Well, it has two forms. One form is the one that goes into the membrane and allows for uh, information, molecules, whatever to go through. The other form doesn't go into the membrane. It isolates itself. It sticks around with one it, as itself. It's kind of like a loner. And here's where it gets really problematic, is that as that loner happens to be there, it's going to attract other versions, the ones that are in the membrane, to it. And as soon as it touches it, as soon as it comes into contact with those normal ones, they're going to ch change as well into this loner version. And then you're going to start to have accumulation. So... As you are going through this particular disease, what's happening is it's essentially one protein is changing from one conformation to another that simply cannot be, quote unquote, dissolved. Uh, we call it soluble. And as a result, it's going to create that nucleation, which is then going to create the pockets, which is then going to create the plaques, which is then going to create the disease. Awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, prion, you don't want to get it, could cause a lot of problems. I mean, cannibalism, I had heard, was coming back. I, I heard just a myth that somewhere in Los Angeles, there was a restaurant serving cannibal meat. I don't know if that's true, probably not true. Don't quote me on that, kind of crazy. 
There is a whole cannibalism exhibit going on in San Diego, I think until the beginning of next year uh, that I was looking out. And I, I happened to be in San Diego and I saw a poster for it. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta go check that out. But yeah, they used to use human body parts as food back in the 17th century, well before Advil, Europeans would ingest ground up mummies for headaches and human fat, blood and bone were used to treat everything from gout to nosebleeds. It's pretty crazy. So, no. I, I mean, if you think about it, before genetic engineering, we had to use human pancreases in order to get it, uh, insulin. True. True. Right. And and well, and nowadays there are the fetal cells, right? Stem cells. Oh, yeah. that are are being used for various things, and they had put a stop to it. I mean, I wonder. I, I never thought of this. You know, I I'm not in that field of healthcare really, but if transplanting these cells can cause prion disease, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know someone who's had a bilateral lung transplant for the past four years, doing perfectly well. I mean, I guess that's why you have the anti-rejection drugs and stuff, but. Well, when I was working with the prions back in the 1990s again, uh, we were looking at what was called transplantation effects. Uh, one of the big concerns was that if you were doing transplantations, you would be possibly taking some of these infected particles, these prions, and putting them into somebody else. Right. We, we still have that concern. Thankfully, now there's all sorts of testing being done to make sure that doesn't happen. But we have seen CJD, which is the natural version of prions in humans, being transferred through transplantation. Another thing that we were concerned about was actually what we call xenotransplantation, where you're, you know, pig hearts. Oh, yeah. Uh, that type of thing. And, you know, are there any viruses? Are there any prions that could possibly be transferred over? Because this was huge back in the 1990s, and mm -hmm. the reality was is we didn't have the technology back then to be able to do anything about it, so it kind of went away. Right, and the now baboon hearts. Like, there was, yeah. a, there was a, I think, a child who got a baboon heart. Yeah, and uh, right now we're at a point where we can start bringing that back because we have all the, 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 the stop checks in place. So what we're going to start to see is more of these particular types of, of uh, transplantations and surgeries and, you know, building organs and animals, that type of thing happening. It's going to be a bit slower because of those CRISPR babies, but we are going to start seeing this happening more often. Oh, CRISPR and by the babies? Way, What's a CRISPR baby? Oh, have you not? Do you remember there was that story about a Chinese researcher who had basically use CRISPR to edit the genes so that these uh, children would no longer get HIV. Oh my God. What is CRISPR? Is CRISPR, CRISPR a... Um... It's a gene editing tool. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what CRISPR does is it's like a cut and paste for your uh, computer. It's just, it goes in, it cuts out a certain piece of DNA and it puts another piece of DNA in its place. And then you have that new gene problem is is that's only about 70 percent effective even in the best of conditions which is why you shouldn't be doing it in humans let alone in animals at this point but we're getting better and better at being able to do that 
That's very The Island of Dr. Moreau. Remember that movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's. <laughs> I mean, we are verging on, you know, movies like The Island, Moreau, and a couple of those others uh, becoming reality. And by the way, I'm sure that there's a and, lot of and people... They, they did say back in Egyptian times that those were the experiments that they were doing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right? Because that's why we see those um, hieroglyphs with different heads, animal heads, animal parts... Right. Exactly. And one of the things that we are also watching out for is the so-called head transplant, which some Russian doctor said he was going to be doing sometime this year. I don't know if it's actually happened or not, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be transplanting a head anytime soon. There's a great fiction book called Noggin about a, a kid. It's a, it's a YA young adult novel that gets a, a, a head transplant. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they, they – well, he doesn't get a head transplant. They saved his head because he had cancer okay. uh, in his whole body. So I guess his brain didn't have any cancer. So there was a body of a kid that uh, was his same age that had died, but he w- had been frozen. His head had been frozen for about five years. Great book. Mm. Very good read. You know, and he comes back, and, and he didn't have any friends. So he was like, why did I come back? <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely <laughs> understand that. And since you happen to be the kid with the transplanted head, uh, any of your friends are probably not going to really be your true friends. Right, right. So it was, it was odd. It was awkward yes. for the kid. But great story. I don't know if that – I mean, we've seen the penis transplants happen. There are a few, I think, in, a, in the world. Uh, yeah, so. I, I've been a few of those. Um, you know, it's, but, but there's been all sorts of very interesting transplants uh i don't know if you've happened to have seen the um uh the premiere for the uh, show prodigal son but uh no. th- there was a very interesting scene in there where uh transplantation efficiency or or reattachment efficiency comes into play we've come a long way with respect to medicine i, I also want to point out one other thing for the listener and, and that happens to be that when we're talking about things like cannibalism and stuff like that, we are obviously talking about another person's body that you are ingesting. Because I'm sure, I'm sure that somebody out there is probably thinking, well, Kim Kardashian is a cannibal because she eats her own placenta. It's not oh, the same yeah. thing, people. Yeah, it's not the same it's not thing. not the same right? thing. So, because those and, are your and, cells, right? Exactly. It's your own cells. Now, I don't recommend it. However... Don't start accusing Kim Kardashian of being a cannibal. She's not. Excellent point. So shall we jump right along to our next one? Septicemic plague and bubonic plague, which is actually becoming a problem in Los Angeles with all the rats going on downtown. (laughs) Super crazy. Don't blame the rats. It's always the fleas. But the fact is that plague has been around forever. It's not going away. Normally, there are a a handful of cases that happen in the United States every year, but they're usually in places that are, uh, you know, in the distant wild. They're not inside the city. But there have been studies that show that plague bacteria, Yersinia pestis, can be found in certain cities. I think they found it in New York, uh, you know, Los Angeles, and, and I'm sure that it's probably in many other places where you have high rodent populations. The plague is another one of these really, really nasty kill-you-all diseases, but for a very different reason from trypanosoma and from neglaria. In this particular case, have you ever seen the movie Independence Day? 
a long time ago. Yeah. You know how the aliens come in and then just start blowing away everything? Yeah. That's what Yersinia does. It gets into your body and then it hides out in a particular cell uh, until the immune system decides, oh, looks like everything's fine. And then it comes out and then it just starts attacking everything in its path. And as it's doing that, it's growing and it's leading to greater numbers of the bacteria in the one place where you probably don't want it. And that happens to be your lymph nodes. And so you end up with these enlarged lymph nodes, the buboes, as we like to call them. Uh, and, and then that in itself leads to widespread dissemination of the bacteria throughout your body. And eventually it just overtakes you and you, well, die. But wasn't it, what century did it kill like a nation? It's the Black Death, right? It oh, swept well, through Asia, Europe, and Africa, 14th century. Here it is. Yeah, yeah it was the 14th it century. Estimate, 50 million people. Yeah, and uh, if you were to go to my first book, The Germ Code, you would actually hear about the story of how the plague managed to spread across Europe. There was a very small place in Ukraine, what we call Ukraine right now, and it had a uh, walled fortress. And one of the problems was if you have a walled fortress, you're kind of stuck inside. And so if you've got people at your gate trying to knock you down, you're probably going to come up with some interesting ways to be able to get rid of them. Well, they came up with a very interesting way. They took people who were dying of the plague and jettisoned them over the wall into the people who were trying to attack. Oh, that's right. We talked about this briefly in our bioterrorism yeah. uh, episode. And yes. as a result of that, they that used was them as, as germ warfare. Yeah, it was germ warfare. And when that happened, then people obviously scattered. And as they scattered, they took the plague with them and it went all over Europe. And I think, I think it wiped out half of the population of Europe. I can't remember exactly. Well, 50 million people. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> you know, I mean, just imagine, like, even when we talk about the greatest pathogen in the world, pathogen X, it's still only going to kill about 80 million people, which is barely a knock in the population of the earth right now. Yeah, because there's about 7.5 billion, 7.7 .7 billion people, something yeah. like that in the whole planet. Yes. And honestly, if Yersinia ever decides to become antibiotic resistant we are going to be in trouble. Yeah. That's it. Oh so while it's no longer the type of killer that it was, the potential is there for it to become a killer again. And well, that is truly scary because anything that can wipe out half the population of a given environment is definitely one you should be thinking about and being worried about. Awesome. Any other crazy ones that we need to be worried about? I mean, I know the bubonic plague is coming back because of global warming. That's what they're blaming it on here in Los Angeles because of the homeless population. City Hall was being overrun by rats, or actually it was a police department downtown, mm -hmm. so they were seeing signs of plague. Even in the Angeles Crest Mountains over here, they were seeing some of the rodents that had plague, some of the... Um, whatchamacallit, those little fuzzy guys, I don't know, not the groundhogs, prairie dogs, they were saying, and also squirrels. That's it. I don't know why squirrels couldn't come to my brain. But anyway, I hope I don't have an amoeba. But <laughs> probably not likely. No. <laughs> no, I do. I am an avid swimmer. So it always freaks me out. But you know, 
So far, I'm still alive. But anyway, any other crazy deadly diseases that we have to know about or that you know about? I mean, you are the germ guy. Well, I mean, honestly, as soon as you start the podcast and you say the deadliest diseases on earth, what's the one everyone's going to think about? Ebola. Of course. And here's the thing. Ebola, it's bad. It's very, very bad. However, as we are seeing now in the Congo, we're starting to figure out a way to be able to deal with it. But there was a huge outbreak a few months ago. I know when we did the bioterrorism podcast. It's still going on. Of Ebola going on in the Congo. And then there were some cases again in Texas where there was that huge outbreak. I think it was back in 2014. Yeah, 2014, With the whole Ebola nurse drama. Mm -hmm. And I think we even tried to, we talked about trying to find the Ebola nurse, but I think she signed some non-disclaimer, non-disclosure, so she can't talk about it. Uh, it's not surprising. You should try the oh New Jersey God. nurse. She'll probably talk to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But I did want to do an episode. So if anybody knows of these Ebola nurses, <laughs> I have been obsessed. I was obsessed. Now you just resurrected my obsession there again with these nurses. So I, I would love to have one of them on to talk about their story. So. And, and I think the one thing that you have to realize about Ebola is that, yes, indeed, it is a huge killer. However... Now that we have a vaccine, finally, we have a vaccine. We had the vaccine over 10 years ago, but... The vaccine just came out, right, with this current outbreak. The vaccine came out as a result of the current outbreak, but it literally sat on a shelf for 10 years. I actually know some of the people who developed that vaccine. And yeah, it just sat on shelves for about 10 years. And then it came back as a result of what was happening in uh, Sierra Leone um, and and Liberia and... uh, it just led to finally what we needed to see. And when that happened, it created sort of a movement to be able to get that vaccine to come out. And it was 100% effective. That's the other thing that's just absolutely insane is that it's probably the best vaccine that's out there. And it just sat, sat on the shelf. Well, now we're being able to see it in action in the Congo, and it does seem to be doing its job. So in that light, if we get to a point where we can mass produce this particular Ebola vaccine, we may be able to get enough people vaccinated so that we can eliminate the chances of Ebola ever happening like it is right now or like it did back in 2014 ever again. That is awesome. Yep. Oh, and one other thing about Ebola being the deadliest disease that there happens to be, well, we kind of showed that that's not really the case. But you, it is a horrific disease because you start bleeding out of all the orifices, right? Well, you start bleeding from your nose, your anus, you're just, you just start coughing up blood. I mean, it's, it's not pretty because doesn't it affect the mucous membranes, correct? Well, no, what happens is that it dewaters you. It takes away your water. And as it dehydrates a result of, you, right? It's, it's beyond dehydration. It's, it's really, really bad. And when that happens you start to see a breakdown of the mucous membranes, the vascular membranes, all of these types of things because they need their water. Now, one of the treatments that we've been seeing that's been coming out of some of these places is that if you get it early enough, you may be able to actually just use saline. Now, we're talking like four liters a day of saline, but 
if you keep a person hydrated, their immune system might be able to combat the virus. So at the moment, we're still dealing with a fairly high uh, mortality rate, but we think that that's going to start to decrease as we get better and better at being able to treat. I hate to say this, but when you have such a massive epidemic as we saw in 2014, 2015, and then you have a secondary epidemic like we're seeing right now in the Congo, it gives you data. And that data gives you the opportunity to be able to create something useful. And so as much as we lost you know, 11,000 lives, and, and I think it's somewhere around 2,000 right now in the current outbreak, those lives have not gone to waste because it's helping us to be able to prevent deaths in the future. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for kicking off our Halloween 2019 episodes. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And tell us where we can find you and your podcast. Well, you can always find me. Just head over to jasontetro.com or I'm on Twitter at JATetro. The Super Awesome Science Show is on every single one of the podcast platforms. So it doesn't matter if it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, it's going to be there. All you have to do is type in Tetro and SASS, S-A-S-S. It'll bring it up. And... Um, well, if you do have a question or you really have something that you want to get a hold of me of, then all you have to do is use my nickname at gmail.com. Awesome. That's the germ guy, right? The cool. germ guy at gmail.com. Exactly. All right. <laughs> and thank you one again. Till next time, nurses and hypochondriacs, have a happy Halloween season. Mm-hmm.